So if you have your Bibles, just turn with me to Acts 2. We're going to be in Acts 2 again, um, verses 42 to 47. So I'm just going to read that as we start. And they were, and they devoted themselves. So this, this 3,000 who've just been saved and the others who have believed in Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, I just want to pause there on that awe. That awe could also be translated as fear. And I just I think there's something in that for us to recognize. This is not a lighthearted, glib moment. There is awe. And as the power and the presence of an awesome God is being felt and experienced through these things, these four things that we've been looking at, these, the teaching and uh, fellowship with one another and breaking bread and prayer in those things, God is revealing himself as an awesome and powerful God. And so they're not being handled lightly. They're being handled with reverence and with fear and with trembling. It's also important to notice, I think, that um, they come first, you know, signs and wonders. Absolutely. Salvation. Yes. Uh, supernatural generosity, which we're going to be looking at in a couple of weeks. Yes. But all of those come as a response to the awe and the fear of the Lord that is there in that place as the power and presence of God is felt and experienced through these things. And those things are both a response to and a cause of this awe that people feel. So, sorry, interrupted myself. All who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Lord I just pray for us now as we again come to these six verses and we look at them, Lord, I pray that we would be met with such a view of the day-to-day -day of church, that we would be awestruck by the power and presence of God in just the day-to-day -day of church life, as we share life with one another, as we break bread, as we pray, as we receive teaching, we would see supernatural uh, generosity, and we would see supernatural salvation and signs and wonders to boot. Lord, I pray that you would be at work in our heart now as we receive teaching, as we pray, as we fellowship, as we um, can be looking at breaking bread. I pray that all would be on us, all would be on us as we are met with the power and presence of God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I say, over these first weeks as Freedom Church, we've been looking at these first days of uh, the church in the New Testament, in these six verses of Acts 2. Um, Luke, as we've said, gives us, so he's just told the story of how the Holy Spirit has come. Peter and the others have preached powerfully in Jerusalem. People have been saved, 3,000 saved and added, we're told, baptized that day. And they become part of this new community of believers who are following Jesus and devoting themselves to these things. And Luke gives us this snapshot. He's going to go on to tell us the story of how this church, the church of Jesus, went on to 
explosive growth, church planting in the nations, city to city evangelism. But he pauses just to give us a snapshot of the day to day life of the church in this time. And we've looked at this thing. We've looked at these six verses and we said, OK, what can we get as Freedom Church out of these? And we look particularly, as I say, at these four devotions. So devoted to the apostles teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer. And we've said that what an individual or a group uh, does and values is shaped by what they devote themselves to or give themselves to. And that these devotions in turn are born out of uh, uh, that group's values and what they believe their purpose is, what, what they think that they're for. So that what a group or an individual gives themselves to, devotes themselves to, both reveals and shapes um, the what that group is, right? So when someone is devoted to something, you go, okay, that's, that's kind of what they're defining themselves by. And if it, the same is true of a group. I gave the example when we started of a sports gathering, you know, for a sports event. Now, I remember one time, Jen and I, we hadn't been in, living in Hull for long, but we were traveling back into Hull. And as we were coming back in, there was just a sea of red and white and black and white shirts just pouring east from the stadium, from KCOM Stadium. And at no point, as I say, we, neither of us had been, we hadn't been in Hull for very long. At no point did either one of us turn to the other and say, I wonder what they are for. I wonder where they've been. It's, it's very, very clear. Right? You don't have to know much about rugby or Hull to know that when that crowd is there, something big is happening. That's what this crowd is for. And we're saying that what we want that to be true of us as well. People who look in very quickly see what we are devoted to and what we are for. And so we've been looking at each of these four things in turn. So we started with teaching, what it means to be devoted to teaching to the word and then we went on to look last week at what it means to be devoted to fellowship, uh, that word, a uh, Greek word koinonia, we're going to see it again today, um, to one another, to that things in common, life in common, shared life. And now today we come to look at breaking bread and what it means to be devoted to it. So what's meant here by this term breaking bread? Well, as we saw last week, as we looked at what it meant to be devoted to the fellowship, to one another, we saw that the, uh, one of the ways that the early church expressed this love and devotion to one another was in the sharing of life and resources and food. They're in and out of each other's homes, gratefully receiving food, just sharing life. And, you know, in many cultures, uh, that's, that's, you know, eating with one another is a big expression of life together, of unity, of we're together in this. There is a kind of a big symbolic thing of eating with one another. And so there's certainly something of that going on in that as well here in, in Acts 2. But in amongst that, there is a particular meal and practice of the church that we see here referred to as breaking bread. And that's what I believe is being referred to when they say we are devoted to the breaking of bread. And I think it's, uh, you know, I think uh, it's just worth saying sometimes, you know, some of us might know this by different things. So some of us might know it as the Lord's Supper or communion or Holy Communion or more traditionally the Eucharist. But it's all referring to the same thing, breaking bread, bread and wine. Those things that Jesus gave the church at the Last Supper. This is my body 
broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I hope that in the last two weeks, we've seen that there's a difference between being devoted to something, giving ourselves to something and just doing it. And, and I think it's particularly important to stress here when we're talking about breaking bread, because in many church contexts, um, in traditional church and in churches like ours, where we're maybe less traditional, maybe a little bit more um, modern, in both of those contexts, in any church context, it's very easy for this breaking bread to become just a, a, a mindless ritual or just something we do that kind of loses some or all of its meaning. It could just become going through the motions. And actually, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some Christians even who wouldn't consider it a great loss if they were to wake up tomorrow morning and find that breaking bread, um, Holy Communion just wasn't there in the church's um, dictionary anymore. And so I kind of, you know, I want us to look at it in a way that captures the awe and fear that we see in Acts 2. What is going on here that produces that sort of awe and reverence for God? And so with all that in mind, <laughs> I want us to look this morning at this question of what does it mean to be devoted to breaking bread? Why is it significant in the life of the church? What is it about? What does it do? And particularly, why is it important for us as Freedom Church? And what will it look like for us for us here to be devoted to it? And so I want to begin to answer those questions. And I don't think I'm going to be able to unpack it all, but I want to begin to answer those questions by looking at a few key things in Scripture that the Bible has to say about breaking bread. Now, the first thing that will often come to mind when you ask somebody, or maybe you would be asked, what is breaking bread all about? First thing that will come to mind, almost certainly, almost always, is that Jesus says it is here to, for you to remember me. Remember me by doing this. When you do this, when you break bread, when you drink wine, you're to remember Jesus and his body broken, his blood poured out. And that is a key part of communion. I think if we're not if we're not remembering Jesus, if we're not mindful of what he's done and of what he's doing and, and what you know and what he's done is doing in our lives, then we're not doing breaking bread properly. If it's not causing us to to take us back to the cross, it's not leading us back to sacrifice and blood spilled and body broken, then we've not understood what's going on. Now, Jesus, he, you know, he says, do this in memory of me. The amazing thing is those elements he picks up, the, the cup and the bread, they already have meaning. They're already in remembrance of something. So anybody who's, who's familiar with the Old Testament will know the story of the Exodus, you know, the Jews, slaves in Egypt um, and then you know God hears their cry and causes Moses to lead them out final uh, sign that God sends to Egypt to cause them to release the Jews from captivity is this angel of death that sweeps across the nation and kills all the firstborn and the Jews to escape this punishment they kill a lamb they take its blood, they paint the doorposts, and the, that judgment passes over them. And so they have, they're given instructions every year, you're going to celebrate this, you're going to remember this by having this meal, and you're going to celebrate it in this way. 
And so Jesus comes into that meal. He's having this meal. And it's this meal he's having as he has the Last Supper. And he says, I'm hijacking this now. <laughs> this is about me. It has been about this, but it's about me. This bread is about me and this wine is about me. And in hijacking it, I mean, for one thing, it's like, can you imagine just how radical, you know, a Jew looking in thinking, no, this has meaning. It has significant meaning. Don't you come in and tell me it's about you. And by hijacking it, Jesus, saying, Jesus isn't just saying, remember me. He's saying, that story, the Exodus, that was about me as well, actually. It was foreshadowing of what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the lamb that is slain, the blood that is going to cover you so that judgment passes over you. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of not only that story now, but what I'm about to do. The same sort of thing is about to happen in your midst and you're to remember it in this way. But it's possible to take this meal, remembering that Jesus died and even kind of saying, OK, I subscribe to the historical fact of Jesus' death and resurrection and not receive it in the way that it's meant to be received. So we can remember it. We can remember Jesus' death and his resurrection and you know, believe that these things are representative of those things, but not receive it in the way that we're meant to. And so that's what takes us into what I believe is the core and the heart of um, breaking bread. And I'd say it's this, this participation. So I'm just going to quickly turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and 11. And I'm just going to pick out a few different verses there. But I'll just read this. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 18 says, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And he's talking about breaking bread at the Lord's Supper. He's saying, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar, now, that word part, uh, participation is that same Greek word koinonia that we saw last week. And when we were looking at fellowship, it's the same word as fellowship. So the, the believers are devoted to uh, koinonia, to, to fellowship. And as we break bread, we are fellowshipping with Christ. We have that unity, that unity that we see expressed in the body is expressed in us receiving Christ. And in the, in the breaking of bread and in drinking wine, we are in him. We are receiving him. We're sharing in him. Everything that's his is ours. Everything that's ours is his. All our sin and shame belongs to him and all his glory and uh, righteousness is ours. His status as a son is ours. That's this incredible sharing. Jesus, you know, they kind of that you know, when he talks about um, Israel, consider Israel, consider the people of Israel, aren't those who eat the sacrifices? So that's a common part when you look through the Old Testament, sacrifices given, and then they eat part of it. And um, when they eat it, they are participants in the altar. So what does Paul mean by that? Well, I think he means that as they eat this, there is a, there's something happening, um, symbolic, yes, but more so, that says, I am receiving what that sacrifice has won for me. I'm receiving that in faith. 
I'm taking that innocence that that brings. I'm taking that joy that that brings, that relationship with God that that brings. And that is what's happening when we fellowship, when we participate in the breaking of bread and receive Jesus. Jesus says in John 6, you know, no one can no one can enter into this new life unless they receive me, unless they eat of me, unless they have me, are blessed by me. And I think there's there's just something for us to recognize there in as we receive bread and wine in faith that that's happening. You know, in the New Testament, in Hebrews, we're told that these kind of Old Testament sacrifices are foreshadowing. Uh, they're a shadow of what's to come. They're imperfect. They're not complete. They're not right. But they're pointing to something that's going to happen that is going to complete them and fulfill them. And, and, and this, you know, in Hebrews, it goes on to say that those things are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice. You know, previously, every year a sacrifice is brought and, and uh, sacrifices are brought on different occasions for different times, for different things. Jesus brings one sacrifice and it is once and for all and it is done. He brings his sacrifice. He dies. He's raised. He sits down. Job done. It is done once and for all. Finished. Dealt with. And so all of us who have a part in Jesus, who receive him, who receive his broken body and his blood, receive him in faith and can live knowing that all their sin, all their mess is covered. It's been covered. Their debts have been paid. They are free. This is received and enjoyed in faith as we break bread. We respond to this in breaking bread. It's not a re-offering, needs to be said. Um, there have been times when Christians have been confused by this. They've made breaking bread a sort of a re-offering of Jesus to God. Um, no, we're told it's once and for all. This is So when we receive bread and wine, we're not offering something to God. Here, God, hiding behind this sacrifice again. No, we are receiving something from God. It's a moment of blessing for us. God is offering himself to us. Here is my body. Here is my blood. Receive it. And that means that it's for sinners. You don't have to reach a certain level of goodness before you can take bread and wine, although we'll see in a moment that there is a bit of self-reflection that needs to happen. No, it's, it's something that is received for sinners. I heard a story recently of, of somebody, uh, it's a, an old Scottish rabbi Christian, and he uh, he used to teach Hebrew uh, up in Scotland, and uh, there's a story of him at a church, and this woman, they're breaking bread, and this woman just is in tears and refuses the bread and the wine. And he, watching this, knows what's happening in her heart, knows that she just feels so wretched, so sinful. I can't take this. I can't take this. I can't receive anything from God. And he grabs those pieces, and he takes them over to her, and he says, take it, take it. He died for you. He died for sinners. That's what this is. This is a response to those things. It's a moment of blessing for us who need blessing. Baptism in, in our church. Now, some churches will do this differently, but it, um, you know, many of us have, have done baptism in, in this sort of way where we'll bring our testimony. This is how what God has done uh, in my life. I was this and I met with Jesus and I received him. And so, so we'll tell the story. I remember doing this um, a, few, a number of years ago bringing my testimony and then kind of we make it a big event as we enact the gospel 
die in the water and you raise to life just as Jesus was. You are you have partaken his death and you partake in his new life now. And we make a big event of it. And knowing this, I, I mean, I, I know some of your stories. I've spoken to you about some of your baptisms. I know that for many of us, that was a key time when we felt the presence of God in our lives. We felt him close to us. We felt blessed on that day. It was a big event. Breaking bread is meant to be that. What baptism was on that day, breaking bread is day after day after day as we do it. As often as we do it, it's meant to be that blessing. It's a gift. It is a, uh, enacting the gospel. It is uh, bringing us close to God. And so when we partake, when we're participants in bread, we have in Jesus freedom from sin. This is what the cross wins for us. Freedom from sin, no guilt in life, victory over death, no fear in death, power to overcome temptations and trials, assurance of God's love and favour, a share in his inheritance and authority, comfort in hardship, security in the knowledge that Jesus really is mine and that I really am his, that God in his love holds to us so tightly that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither present nor future nor any powers neither height nor depth or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and on and on it goes these things that the cross has won for us and we receive in faith we are bring ourselves to again as we break bread with awe and fear and trembling and wonder the power of God that loves us so well and so much and to the end and withholds nothing from us we receive that as we break bread all these things for one are one for us on the cross and are enjoyed in the breaking of bread we also see I don't have to speed up we also see that um, unity is something that is expressed and not only expressed but uh, and, and demonstrated, but also uh, happens in the breaking of bread. Uh, Paul says, because there is one bread, you know, that could be translated or could be interpreted as loaf, one loaf, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. So lots of us come to the table, uh, but because we partake of one bread, we go away as one. We are one, that it causes unity. It's not just ex an expression of unity, as we said, you know, sometimes in some cultures, food, eating together is an expression of unity. It's not just showing it, but the very act when done in faith, in light of everything that we've just seen, creates unity. It's the same basis of everything that we've said last week. The same Jesus who died for me died for you and has made us a people together in him. In, uh, Galatians, Paul says, you know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, male or female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. This unifying that happens at the cross. We don't do it on our own, you know, it's not something that we can do on our own, but we do it together. When I take part in this meal, I'm reminding myself of the unity that I have in Jesus, as we've said, and I'm uniting myself with everybody else at the table. So it's not something that I can do on my own. Not only that, am I uniting myself to everybody else on the table, but I'm uniting myself with every Christian ever in history and around the world. Every Christian who's taken this. And what's amazing is that it goes beyond language. So I could find myself one day in 
China, let's say, and I don't understand a word of the language, I stumble into a gathering of believers and we break bread together and I know these are brothers and sisters. These are people who are part of the same family as me. We recognize in each other as we break bread, there is unity here that goes beyond language, beyond church history. The purpose is to bring unity, which is why later on in Corinthians, Paul gets so angry with the Corinthians because they're doing it in a way that undermines what it's meant to do. They're doing it in a way that means that the rich are getting loads, the poor are getting little, some people are going away drunk, some people are getting nothing. And they're undermining unity and Paul comes at them sharply to say, no, this is about unity as much as it's about anything else. Now, just quickly, I don't want to spend on ages on this, but I, um, some people, when they see this, the importance of coming together to do this, would say that whilst we're not meeting physically during COVID, um, we can't break bread because we aren't doing one of the essential parts of what breaking bread is. Now, you know, in all the references to breaking bread in Corinthians, it comes with it when you come together. And I have a lot of sympathy for that view. Um, but as a church, we've made, taken the decision that we're gonna, we are going to be breaking bread um, whilst we meet on Zoom. And I'm happy to have more of a conversation about that with anyone who wants to have that conversation. But just quickly, three reasons why. Um, firstly, I just want to say that it's you know, that unity with the global church. When we break bread, we're not breaking bread with it's not one loaf that's going all the way around the world. It is um, we are only in the context that we're in. And yet we still say that we are in unity with the guys over in China because we're breaking bread here. And so I don't think doing it in our homes if, over Zoom means that we can't uh, do that. And we can't do that in that way. Um, I would also say that, you know, the same case could be made for everything, for preaching, for fellowship, for prayer together, for worship. Actually, none of those things are being done in the way that they're meant to be done whilst we're on Zoom. Like, I love preaching in my slippers, but it's not, this is not the same as when I'm going to be stood in front of you and, and we're receiving the Spirit together in this moment. It's just not the same. And so whilst this isn't ideal, there are things that I want to make sure that we can hold on to, these things that we're still devoted to, that we exercise in whatever way we can. And so this, that is true of breaking bread. There, so a lot of these things that I'm talking about breaking bread does, it still does, even when we do it together on Zoom. Now, I've, I, that whole meeting together, there is something I've just... It, something cringes in me when we when my even when i've said it myself and i have we're doing church online they're just oh that's just not that's not right we're not doing church because this isn't church church it's the gathering and yet we are protecting and making use of as much as we can those things those that exercising that fellowship in whatever way we can whatever means are available to us and so we are going to be breaking bread on wednesday on zoom and finally, I just want to say it, it comes with an element of self-examination. Um, Paul gives a warning to the, the church in Corinth. Look, when whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then so, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. And again, I just think this is that looking back at that awe and that fear in Acts 2, this is not something that's done lightly. We, we don't want to do it in an unworthy manner. Now, the Corinthian church, as I've said, they are doing it in an unworthy manner. They're doing it in a way that undermines what it's meant to do. They're not, they're not doing it 
thinking of Jesus. They're doing it to get drunk and some people aren't getting anything and they're not waiting for each other and it's just messy and ugly and they're undermining the very thing that this is meant to do. Um, and so Paul says, no, don't do it in an unworthy manner. As I say, this doesn't mean that I need to be perfect to receive it. But Jesus' body was, as we say, broken for sinners. His blood was poured out, not because we're righteous, but to make us righteous. So the question we're asking ourselves is not, am I holy enough to receive this? But am I receiving this in the way that it should be received? That is in faith and in unity. And I think there's a, a really key moment when we break bread to kind of ask ourselves the question, am I bringing myself back to the cross? Am I receiving Jesus again as his as having given himself for me? Am I trusting him with everything that I am? Am I trusting him to cover my sins? Am I trusting him to make me new? And am I in unity with my brothers and sisters here? Or am I living in a way that is causing disunity? Just serious reflection is needed at that time. So finally, I've overflowed a little bit. Um, that's because we, we started a bit late with our technical issues. We're going to go back into a, a bit of worship, but just finally, um, what does it look like for us as a church to be devoted to the breaking of bread? Now, two things quickly. When it comes to breaking bread, we collectively make an effort to come to it, holding our hearts, holding in our hearts what Jesus has done in dying for us on the cross, focusing our minds on that, what the cross means, um, we do it in uh, receiving it in faith. So when we hold it in our hearts and we're thinking about remembering what Jesus is doing, we're receiving that in faith, knowing that he is ours and we are his. We do it also in unity. And we, fifthly, we do, um, <coughs> sorry, and not in a way that undermines what this meal is preaching to us. It's preaching unity, it's preaching God giving himself is preaching faith and receiving and we're not to do it in a way that undermines those things and secondly we want to make it part of the life at Freedom Church we want this to be part and parcel of the life of Freedom Church so that when people come into us they recognize oh these guys value this they're devoted to it I don't think the Bible's prescriptive about how often we should do it but there are some helpful guides in terms of figuring out how often we want to do it and how often we should be doing it. Um, firstly, as we said, is Jesus took it on at an annual feast. So here's, a, here's an annual feast that happens, you know, celebration festival that happens every year. And he is hijacking it and saying, now this is about me. And so we want to put dates in our diary that say, right, we're going to do this then. And so for us, we want to make it part of our regular monthly prayer meetings, our engine room meetings. Jesus also, secondly, he also takes common mealtime elements. So bread and wine, you know, frequently there at any meal table. Certainly was in Jesus' day. And he's saying, you know, I'm taking special elements that come with an annual festival, but I'm also taking things that are there every time you eat. So we can do this frequently at the meal table with any believers. When we can be back in each other's homes and we're eating together, we say, hey, look, there's bread here and there's wine here. Let's break bread and let's remember what Jesus has done as we eat let's celebrate him and thirdly it comes with a promise of blessing that encourages us to do it a lot <laughs> and so we want to take every opportunity to make the most of this gift so as i say we're going to be doing it on uh wednesday coming 
And we're going to be celebrating in that way. Now, all of this is about the cross. It's all about Jesus. And Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians, said, I, I, I came to you and I wanted to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. The cross is central to everything we do. There is no gospel without the cross. There is no church without Jesus bloodied and dying on the cross for our sins. It's not about each other. We like each other, but we're together because of the cross. It's not about adventure, although we are on an adventure, but we're on an adventure that is springboarded from and empowered by the cross. And so the cross is central and breaking bread helps us to return to that again and again and again. Mm-hmm.